Welcome to K6 Wellness Revolution, where we believe health is worth fighting for. This podcast focuses on all things related to natural health, wellness, and vibrant living. We know your time is valuable, and I'm honored that you're spending some of it here. So get ready, because the wellness revolution starts right now. Welcome to the K6 Wellness Revolution podcast. My name is Crystal, and I'll be your host, introducing you to the experts at K6 Wellness, where we'll discuss all things health and wellness, because your health is worth fighting for. First, we have Sharon Cron, who is a traditional naturopath, registered nurse, and bioset practitioner with over 17 years experience in functional wellness. And next, we have Elena Bach, who is a certified holistic health coach and whole body thermography specialist. Hello, ladies. Hey, Crystal. Hi, I want to start off today by asking Sharon, who's the owner of K6 Wellness in Dallas, Texas, to share a little bit about how and why you started your wellness center, Sharon. Well, uh, like most people in this field, I came to it through my own health issues. And when I was still a youngin in my 20s, I, I got married young, started having my family at a young age, and I never felt good. And my husband would always tell me, you should go to the doctor. Nobody should be as tired mm-hmm. as you. And I just convinced myself, no, this is just what being a mom is. It sucks. And this is what my life is. And it wasn't really until um, I had a miscarriage after I'd, I had had three children. And then I um, had a surprise pregnancy and lost that pregnancy at about uh, 11 weeks. And it was really strange. And then we thought, okay, well, let's go ahead. Yeah, let's finish our family. Tried again, lost that uh, pregnancy as well. And I lost another pregnancy. And and I told my doctor, this isn't normal. Uh, Something's wrong and I don't know what it is. And he offered me Zoloft, which was not satisfactory because it wasn't going to do anything to um, answer the question, why is my body rejecting a pregnancy after I'd had three children with no problem? Um, it wasn't because I had a deficiency of Zoloft. And I just insisted on more tests and they did tests and found out I had autoimmune issues. And I took that back to my PCP, who was also a trusted friend. And he said, Sharon, if you were my wife, I would tell you, look outside the box on this one. And my mom had always been kind of crunchy, if you will. She started into like essential oils and coffee enemas and stuff when it was just embarrassing <laughs> to, to go anywhere with her because people go, what's that smell? <laughs> and uh, I told her, it took me a few months even to tell my parents because I didn't know what to do with that information. And and this was back when internet was still uh, up and coming and everything you had ended in death if you went to WebMD. It still <laughs> so, kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but anyway, I kind of jumped off uh, on the natural train. I got a naturopath to start working with me. And she just pointed out so many things that were missing and or, you know, dietarily that I was doing wrong. And so we just started making these changes. And it wasn't an overnight shift, but... I started feeling better. And as the months went by, I started to regain function. And then I found, um, it's called Nambudrapod's allergy elimination technique. 
And it's, it's basically a drug-free, non-invasive approach to allergy elimination. And I had developed these severe allergies kind of overnight. And I found this lady who did it and I went in and like one time she totally fixed all of my seasonal allergies. She named exactly what it was that I was reacting to. And it, that was kind of that aha moment where I went, I finally know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> all you have to have is your hands. And it was just fascinating to me. So I started my study pretty um, soon thereafter. And I've just really kind of never looked back. It's been amazing. So that's, yeah, that's an amazing story. Um, uh, Elena, do you want to share a little bit about your journey to K6 wellness sure. and how you became sure. a practitioner yeah. as well? Yes. So mine starts similarly. My health crashed and my health crash started a lot younger than most people. Uh, it was in college. I'd been super healthy until that point. was maybe sick two or three times my whole life, but I had a horse accident right before I went to college where my horse rolled over the right side of my body. And now I know, because I know how to connect the dots, that that did start the cascade that wrecked my life back in my early 20s. And I, I managed to get through college, but each year I was just worse and worse with fatigue and digestion. And I finally reached a point, you know, everything was so gradual. One day I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm throwing up every day. I'm throwing up blood. I'm having bloody bowel movements. How did I let it get that bad? It was just something I'd lived with. And I thought something's got to change. And I'd grown up with crunchy parents, not going to the doctor. And I knew at that point, okay, I probably don't need a doctor, but I was new living in the city, didn't know what to do. I went to an internal specialist doctor and he offered me anti-anxiety meds. And I just kind of thought, wow, this is why I don't go to the doctor. This is the best you've got for me. I'm not anxious. I mean, anyone would be anxious if you were experiencing what I was experiencing with the blood. But I just looked at that doctor and I was like, you know, I don't think that we are a good fit. So I yeah. left, ripped up that prescription, and I immediately started digging deeper beyond anything that I ever thought I knew. And I just started learning, okay, uh, the food I was eating was wrecking my health. I'd grown up eating organic, and then I went to college. Who doesn't go to college and have fun? I did. I was still eating good foods, healthy foods. I ate salads and veggies every day, but I was eating junk. And mind you, I was a musical theater major initially, did not keep healthy hours, did not keep healthy habits. And just one thing after another, my, my body kept crashing. Even though I was starting to make changes, I needed to, to do something more extreme. And I started, like I said, becoming a student on my own, studying these things and going to different practitioners. And I had gotten over the worst of it, but I still needed some help. And I actually ended up as a client at K6 about 12 years ago. Um, and Sharon and I started working together in that uh, way initially. And then as I began to get better, I mean, I was bedridden when I first uh, came to K6 because I just had plateaued on everything I was doing. And once we started working together, started getting my life back, my health back. And mind you, it's a, it's a constant journey. It's not a one and done thing. But now I get to be such a part of K6 Wellness as one of the practitioners here. And it's just so rewarding. I see people who are where I once was and my heart just mm -hmm. goes out to them. It's like I, and it's, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's funny with Elena because when um, Katie had talked to me about hiring Elena, I was like, 
Oh, I don't know about that. She can't. She, she's real bad about remembering her appointment. My brain was broken. And, and I sat on it for a while. But I think Katie could see things that I couldn't see. And it was just, it was amazing once Elena started working with me. I remember telling her, I'm so impressed with you. I was really worried about <laughs> <laughs> about doing this because I made her learn it from the ground up and and she I started at the front desk that that wasn't yeah. really my gifting but hey I wanted in any way I could to be a part of this practice because yeah. I knew what K6 could do and it's yeah. funny in those early days I didn't go into a single room without a pen and paper because either Sharon would say something a client would ask something or say something and and I knew my brain was broken so I compensated fairly well I'm still here they can't get rid of me <laughs> Yeah, I want to. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, thank you for sharing that too, um, Sharon. I did want to ask why K six. What's the significance of the name? Oh, it it actually kind of has dual meaning. I'm not going to lie to you. I really didn't name my practice until I started developing skincare, and they're like, "Oh, you need a name." And I was like, "Well, no, there's not a good name. All the good names are taken." <laughs> yeah. And then we kept coming back to K six and. My last name is Cron with a K and my whole family, we have four daughters and my wonderful husband, and we all worked to make my practice um, come alive. It was definitely a family business. I mean, anyone who's been a part of my practice knows my kids have worked here. You know, <laughs> one of them still does occasionally. It's still, it's, it's, it's a family practice. And so the six crons was kind of uh, the first one, but I was like, it, that's not really, you know, the thing. And I had this talk that I did and I was like, uh, that's K6. It was six keys to um, health and wellness. And it dealt with water and sunshine and movement and rest and eating real food and having spiritual peace. And so to me, those were kind of the the main things that you need to set the foundation to have health. So ta-da, mm -hmm. K6. I love it. That's great. <laughs> Two messages there with both. So I love yeah. that. <laughs> well, thank you both for sharing all of that with the audience, because I'm sure they're all very interested in um, the foundation of K6. But right now I want to move the conversation to our main topic, which is thermography. And I'm actually very excited to hear from you both about this subject, as that's initially what brought me to K6 Wellness over five years ago. So you both have so much knowledge and have helped so many people over the years, including me. So the first question I want to start with is, can you briefly explain what thermography is for those who might not be familiar with the concept? Well, I'll, I'll take this one. Okay. <laughs> um, so first of all, thermography, you know, you're doing a therm or temperatures, the study of heat um, and the measurement of heat, you know, acquiring those measurements. That's the main thing that we're dealing with thermography and thermography is used in many different applications across many different industries. In health, there's two main kinds. There's camera thermography and infrared sensor thermography. One is an imaging, more of a heat imaging of the body. And the other one is acquiring temperatures on various points on the body. And you're taking kind of a pre and a post temperature to find out, wow, does this spot, like, let's say, you know, right here on your frontal sinus, does this spot warm up or does it cool off with time? And um, so thermography, it's also called thermology, 
thermometry <laughs> and thermography. And it all means the same thing in America. But really, this technology is from Germany. The Germans do it the best. And mm -hmm. that's where all this originated. And so they've really kind of mastered the, the art and science of thermography. Okay. Well, and how I did think you get a lot of people. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Lana. I think a lot of people don't know what to expect with thermography either, because a lot of people yeah. think it's going to be this big machine, but we are literally just taking temperatures with an infrared thermometer. And then when they see the amount of information we can get from that, it's mind blowing. Because yeah, we're taking no what, like 130 temperatures. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're measuring sinus fields, dental uh, measurements. Yeah, breasts, um, abdominal organs, um, yeah. kidneys, respiratory, cardiovascular. We're measuring all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff in the span yeah. of under an hour beginning to end. Yeah. What made you get involved in thermography? So what first sparked your interest? <laughs> I'm kind of a data junkie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a seminar junkie. I'm a data junkie. Um, I had heard about it for a while and I decided to have one done and the information that I got off of that one test was mind blowing. It was overwhelming in many ways, but what really spoke to me was, oh my goodness, look at all this information. I can't possibly fix all this stuff at one time. And I knew some of these things are more important than others. And you know, with the body, a lot of times, you know, you give it what it needs in a big sense. And a lot of those smaller things are going to kind of self-correct. And I didn't understand how, but I endeavored, you know, kind of at that point to learn thermography <laughs> and get really good at it. It's just yeah, something that spoke for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people, once they experience it, and I think that was what made you start it, Sharon, is that you realize you can get all this information from one little test and, and the bioset and applied kinesiology, muscle testing that was the initial foundation of the K6 practice. You bring thermography on and suddenly you can show people, it's a little more tangible, I think. And you can show people yeah. all this data that is, is personal to them and their testing session. And it's very reproducible. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of my next question is, you know, how is it used? What are you able to detect? What issues show up on a thermography? <laughs> so thermography is used for all kinds of stuff, but let me just take you back. So okay. in, you know, I think if you go back, you know, to Hippocrates time, the ancients in that time, they would make mud. And so say you're sick, Crystal, and you, you know, I don't know, let's say it's your you're constipated. Sorry, we're going to go there. <laughs> and you go to see Dr. Hippocrates. He's going to make mud and he's going to slather you all up in it. And then they're going to, and he'll have assistance. So he had people doing it so you could cover a body real quick. And then they watch. And whatever dries the first is really considered to be the problem area. Why? Because there's heat there. There's going to be more heat creating that drying effect on the mud. And, wow. and so that's kind of the earliest, crudest form of thermography, yeah. because then you could go, okay, there's our problem. You know, and this is what we're going to do about it. Mm -hmm. Whatever, you know, he saw fit to do at that time. But now we do it, um, not making mud, just using an infrared <laughs> sensor, but we can find where the, where are those aberrations from normal? What is not right on this person? And then we can use that information to look at lymphatic 
circulation, which you never hear anything about in mm -hmm. Western medicine until you have lymphoma or if you have like real bad lymphedema, but there's not a lot offered. You know, there, I, I feel like it's a, it's a very overlooked system in yeah. a lot of ways, but, um, yeah, we, we can use it to, you know, check on breast health, um, sinuses, dental issues, so many dental and airway issues. Wow. It's really useful for that. And then even just digestive, uh, liver, gallbladder, um, hormonal upsets, thyroid function. There's a lot of things we can do with it. And it's so rare to be able to look at whole at your whole body, like in yeah. one testing, you've got to go to multiple doctors yeah. usually to kind of get in and insight. yeah. And thermography is not using radiation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. So. No harm. Well, what sets it apart then from other tests like, um, mammographies, CTs, MRIs, how are they, or, or are they even comparable? Well, I think Sharon touched on that already just saying radiation, you don't get radiation yeah. from thermography. Yeah. And some people have to get a lot of imaging and then we run other tests that show that they're still holding on to those toxins from the radiation. But I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing that sets it apart is that it's early detection. All these mm -hmm. other imagings can't pick up disease until it's already been there. With thermography, we're measuring your autonomic nervous system and you have dysregulation in your autonomic nervous system before you have disease. So we get some people who already have disease and they want us to use the test to kind of hone in on where it's in their body or where it's stemming from. But for a lot of people, they, they just want to be preventative because you cannot measure what you prevent. We love to say that all the time. You have no idea of knowing how much you prevent. So if someone can come in and say it's, I mean, breast is the most common, but I just want to be clear, we use thermography for the whole body. But yeah. if someone's coming in for breast health, like we do the test, we see the temperatures and we don't diagnose, but we can see patterns and, and some patterns are worse than others and can see, okay, you're headed down a really bad, <laughs> toxic, degenerative path here. Let's correct it now before you have disease. I mean, that's priceless. It really is so valuable to have that information before you have disease. And in German medicine, they kind of estimate with a thermography looking at anywhere in the body um, where you may have cancer appear, that a thermography is going to show a departure from normal regulation two to five years before a tumor is picked up or wow. a clinical diagnosis is made. That's pretty staggering, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the diagnostic value, but it's just recognizing what is expected and healthy within the nervous system and then recognizing when you see something that's not that mm -hmm. and doing your, putting your detective hat on and saying okay <laughs> let's mm -hmm. talk about why this is you know your situation and putting those pieces together yeah yeah. And how reliable is it as a diagnostic tool you kind of mentioned that too are there limitations <laughs> or drawbacks well that's so that's a tricky question because, mm -hmm. you know, you get into like diagnostic. And so we're in Texas. I do not work under a medical license, so I don't di diagnose, don't prescribe. We educate, we make recommendations. So anything that we do, um, we're only gathering information. And as, as much as I understand, and I've studied um, internationally on thermography, you know, going straight to the source, <laughs> if you will, in, in Switzerland. And 
the thing is you're gathering information. You're not going to use one test to diagnose now. Um, and really, I don't even think that it's a, I don't think any one doctor would do that where they would say, Oh yeah. 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 You, you have a hot spot on this breast. So we're going to diagnose it with cancer. I mean, they're going to go in and biopsy or, mm -hmm. you know, there's just going to be more done. So as a standalone, you don't diagnose. However, <laughs> you can get so much information about, oh, there's dysfunction in this area. Well, dysfunction is not a disease, right? And we're trying to get early in the dysfunctional um, cascade, I guess would be the, the right word. But this is, um, yeah, this is where we would look at it in combination. We like to use you know, all kinds of organic acids and blood tests or hormone tests it just depends on the person who's coming in and what they're dealing with. And a lot of people already have tons of labs and they bring them in. Some people bring imaging. We don't, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty picture. <laughs> we don't really do a whole lot with, with imaging, but our job is not to diagnose. And a lot of people, I mean, Elena, you probably agree. Most people already have diagnoses when they come in. Yeah. They're not looking for a diagnosis anyway, which is good because that's not what we do. Yeah. But I think what we miss in Western medicine is we call the diagnosis, this is your disease, but it's really a symptom. Like with cancer, cancer is not the disease. It's a symptom. What's it a symptom of? Well, let's figure it out, you know, and then that's when yeah. you delve into a person's case history. And I, I think it's just, we put the cart before the horse and we get things out of order in Western medicine and we don't dig deep enough. Uh, like in one, one uh, nursing class, it was, what's the cause of obesity? Being overweight. Okay. <laughs> Do we want to go further? <laughs> you know, well, you don't, if you're just selling a surgery or a weight loss pill. Why yeah. would you go further? Yeah. But if you're coming at it from a functional perspective, we want to say, well, why are you overweight? Let's look at how many calories you're taking in. Let's look at your lifestyle. Do you smoke? Do you drink? Does your liver work? Do you have hormone imbalances? Do you sleep? Mm -hmm. Do you know all mm -hmm. of these other things? Because there's not going to be just this one thing. And I think that's true. Even if you look at the whole Western approach to cancer, are they ever going to find a cancer drug? I don't think they really will because cancer is a syndrome. It's a culmination of so many things. Right. And, mm -hmm. I, and I just think we kind of miss it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's where it's helpful with, with thermography Sharon alluded to this or, you know, basically said it, but we're using thermography as one piece of the puzzle and it's for a yeah. different point of view, blood work, and any kind of lab test, that's one piece of the puzzle, one point of view, thermography is another. And I always tell people, hey, your health history and what you're telling me, the symptoms you have, they're real. And that's another piece of the puzzle. And we want to be able to fit it all together. So yeah, we're not diagnosing with your thermography, but we're showing you here's, here's what's not regulating right. And I can't tell you how many times I have clients sitting here and they just feel so validated because I'm saying like, mm -hmm. okay, you're feeling... X, Y, and Z symptoms. Well, let's look at your liver. You know, you have this disease or this diagnosis if they come in with that already, but how is your liver mm -hmm. handling this? Because the liver is life. 
you know, that's just, you know, one example, but there's so many times where we just need to see how the rest of the body is working along with the symptoms or the diagnoses. So it's just an excellent tool for that other point of view. Yeah. And I think, I think too, um, whether it's men or women, we seem to find, you, you do find more autoimmune in women. Um, unfortunately, when these women come in and they have, oh, I have rheumatoid arthritis and I have lupus and I have fibromyalgia and I have Sjogren's and I have this, and it's like, you start collecting these diagnoses, which again, are what symptoms, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's your, why is your immune system so freaking pissed off that all it can do is attack you? Let's do something to stop that little process. And then let's get on top of it and let's start normalizing that immune system. And I think that's, um, so much a part of where thermography validates people because they can see, oh my gosh, my whole body is hyper-regulating or nothing happened here. I should have changed temperatures, but nothing happened. And, and it's, it's, I, I guess, how, I mean, I don't even know how many years we've been doing this now, almost 10 years with the thermography, but after thousands and thousands of them, uh, <laughs> it's, it's never, it's never something I'll get used to when you look at a thing, you know, a thermography. And for me, I play this cute little game where I won't look at a health history. I'll just look at the thermography. And so I can play, guess what this person has. <laughs> <laughs> so I do my thermography interpretation and then I'll pull up a health history. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. Well, it answers all the questions. You start looking at how <laughs> this organ or the colon, and then you yeah. go look at all the symptoms they listed, bloating, diarrhea, or constipation. And I mean, the list goes on of digestive issues and you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess I could have guessed that. That's what I saw. Or that stomach is yeah. so cold or so hot. They can't digest anything. Yeah. And so it's, and there's value, you know, in thermography with places that are super cold and spots on the body where there are those quote unquote hot spots. Um, but then it's equally important to find where nothing happens because your body where it heats up is on mainly the head, the head and the thyroid. So when we take a temperature, we, we take all the temperatures and then we're like, all right, take your clothes off. You're going to stand in this 68 degree room for 10 minutes. And, and it's just enough to get that sympathetic nervous system or that fight or flight going. Cause people are like, you want me to strip and I'm yeah. going to stand here naked in this room and it's, and it's cold, <laughs> and, it's cold and, you, and I can't shiver or you know, or curl up into myself. Yeah. And so, but 10 minutes they've adapted. So we come back in, take all those temperatures again, and there's expected norms. The head should heat up. The thyroid should heat up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else on the body is going to cool off to certain degrees. Like the breast should cool off, you know, one degree is great, but 0.7 to one degrees Celsius, everything Celsius, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, when we see other things, then we know to start looking like, oh, well, your breasts uh, cooled off by three and a half degrees. That's a lot of hype. We call hyper regulation. Like you mm -hmm. should have gone this far and you went this far. Right? Overcompensating, <laughs> right? But when you see a spot on a breast that's supposed to register at maybe 32 degrees Celsius and it registers at 38 degrees Celsius, okay, we know we have a problem mm -hmm. there. What is yeah. the problem? 
you know, that's where we start putting on our detective hats. And, and yeah, we love to talk about some of the crazy stuff we've seen. <laughs> well, thermographies. <laughs> yeah. Well, and going back to the breast, because I know that a lot of women are trying thermography in place of mammographies. And right. so um, there's been debate about that as well. Um, can you shed some light on that discussion, specifically on breast cancer, or breast health, breast cancer? Well, I well, think first of all, it's not, it's not um, the standalone, as we said, but for the early detection, a mammogram, like I said earlier, will not pick it up till it's already been there. Thermography is early detection and we can see what's going on, but it's, it's not a complete substitute. Sometimes we see things and we will recommend, hey, you do need to get additional imaging, but we're always mm -hmm. a fan of ultrasound if you need that additional imaging, because sometimes you need to check or we'll have someone come in and we see the breasts are very dysregulated and we can also see, hey, their lymph isn't working either mm -hmm. or they're not, um, their, their brain is full of toxicity. Their body's full of toxicity. Let's clean this up. And in a couple months, you know, three to six months, we'll come back and recheck that. But there's different, there's varying levels of when, hey, you really need to go check this out with ultrasound or let's do lymph, let's clean it up. There's, there's varying levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, th I think that's a really good point. And it's also, you know, sometimes we, we've had a few instances through the years where women have come in either with, um, or cancer has eaten up their breasts and they've been yeah. in denial and wouldn't go do anything about it. And, wow. and, and then it's traumatic to the thermography technician and, 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 and it's important to remember thermography is a test. It's not a treatment for anything. There's yeah. no therapeutic value in it. It is information gathering. And I think sometimes we get this paralysis of analysis with disease and, and the same thing can happen in the natural world, just like it can the medical world. But, you know, or we've had women come in with one breast is four times the size of the other one. And they're like, do you think I have cancer? And it's like, well, first of all, it's not my, uh, call to make. And secondly, um, we're going to do this thermography because you're here, but then you need to go see a doctor. Mm -hmm. So we're not, I think it's knowing your role to fill. And, and that's the thing. I think every, there's a place for medicine and there's a place for mm -hmm. imaging, but there's a place for alternative methods of gathering that information. And I have always said, if we did mammograms on testicles, mm -hmm. we'd have better testing. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I just don't think that traumatizing breast tissue in the way that we do uh, serves purpose. And we have a lot of women with um, breast implants who've had ruptures from mammograms mm -hmm. and yeah, it's and not that, acknowledged. Yeah. And I, I came to you guys with that situation with some breast pain and was concerned. That's the first thing you think of as a woman, do I have breast mm -hmm. cancer? And you know, my test didn't come back with any heat there. It just was, um, some anxiety and stress kind of pain manifesting itself kind of under my armpit. And it kind of scared me, but that brought a lot of relief. I didn't go get the radiation and all that, that I didn't need. And I had the thermography and could, we could watch it and I've been doing them for five years. And so we watch it to make sure nothing and nothing ever did. But I know for me, that was a great alternative, um, uh, for me. And then of course doing the whole body, it has been helpful too. So, um, but yeah, I know I'll, I get into conversations with my friends about what, you know, cause they're all in the, you know, mammographies the once a year and, you know, they don't understand, they don't see the value in it. So it's, I'm still, I guess, fairly new to a lot of people too, you know, that they don't well, quite understand it. 
Sure. And I think a lot of the time women think, um, like say women who are beginning to question mammograms and, you know, not feeling comfortable with that. Some people can tend to do nothing instead. Yeah. And that is yeah. never an option. So what we can do with thermography, if people are open to that as a first step, you know, we're also all about education and self-awareness, like learn your body, do self breast exams. There's nothing that replaces that because you know, your body better than anybody else. But you know what? And this is a good point, Elena, because I know you've seen it and I've seen it because we talk about this, but Crystal, there are, and, and to the listeners out there, listen to your body. If you are so distracted and you are so busy that you don't know the answer to these questions, do you sweat well? Do you have a bowel movement every day? And some people don't know what bowel movements are. So for those of you who don't, do you poop? every day. If so, how many times do you know that there are a good number of people who have no idea the answers to those questions? Yeah. They don't know how much water they drink or if they drink water the day before. Yeah. So those things are disturbing. And, and I think it just is a testimony to how distracted and how busy we are as a society that we don't listen to our bodies. And, and I tease people all the time because I'm an anti, uh, device person, anti Bluetooth. Like we do not think anybody should be sleeping with electronics. And so people give me a hard time about the aura rings and the Apple watches and they're like, but I need to know how much sleep I've got. And I said, then open your eyes and ask yourself, how do you feel? <laughs> and, and that's, but I get it, right? I mean, I love oh, yeah. data, but I don't want that kind of data. And years ago, I just put my phone in the closet. I won't set it early. I will set it for the time I need to get up. And when I get up, I have to go turn off the alarm and I just don't get back in bed. Yeah. But I know when I get up, if I slept well, and I know if I got enough rest because it's a ritual. Looking at my watch to tell me how I slept does not help me to have a conversation with my body. It does, there's no check-in. We've yeah. got to have those check-ins. Yeah. No, it's very easy to be distracted and to not think about that. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you if you have any situations uh, where thermography made such a significant difference and maybe even saving a life. Um, that would be really interesting, I think, to the listeners to hear a story about that. Well, oh, we, got, we got lots of stories. We have oh, good. so many okay. stories that we could stay here all night. But I just, you know, first off, I want to say, I don't know that we can make a life-saving claim, but we can make a lot of <laughs> life-changing claims. Uh, sure. you know, a big one, a big one is there is a class of women out there who have a huge list, list of symptoms, and it could be fatigue, uh, thyroid issues, autoimmunity to thyroid or any other kind, um, brain fog, and which can be a lot of diseases, weight loss, but resistance. weight loss resistant. But this certain class of women are women who come to us with breast implants. And sometimes they're aware, a lot of the time they are not. Um, they have no idea that their implants are actually what's creating their disease or their, all their symptoms. And, you know, I think once or twice, there's been a few times we do a thermography on a woman who's had implants and everything looks great and it's shocking and surprising. But a lot of the time there isn't because you're going to have scar tissue. You've got a foreign 
object in there that your body doesn't want and it's not used to having. And a lot of the time women aren't told if they've gotten breast implants, they are not told that there's an expiration date. We see women all the time who've had their implants for 20 or 30 years. And let me tell you, those thermographies never look good. And so when you can just bring awareness to this for women, a lot of the, a lot of women are resistant at first. It's a very personal subject and we try to be gracious about it, but there's only so many gracious ways you can say this surgery you did that you elected to have is making you sick and not adding life to, not adding days to your life. And, and so it's really fun to see the women who get that and can make a change. And I mean, that changes their life. It truly does to realize, oh, this is what's making me sick and I can remove it. And, you know, some people have radical experiences and some it's a little more subtle, but for a lot of women, it could just be one of the things that's preventing them from full healing and optimal health. And so that Mm -hmm. class of women with the breast implants, it's called bills, um, And so I just, I want to put that out there because someone might be listening and thinking, no, I have all these symptoms. Well, start connecting the dots and ask yourself, when did this start? I I have a friend who got implants and immediately became sensitive to gluten. And of course she knew me and knew that I was not really a fan of it, but if she was going to do it, it's like, you need to pay attention to your symptoms and let me help you if anything happens. And like immediately gluten became an issue. That's just a tiny Um. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think, uh, you know, another uh, perspective to what Elaine is saying is what women are being told from our point of view, right? Recognize Mm -hmm. you've got this foreign body. It doesn't go there. Your body may object to it. And those breast implants do have an expiration date versus what the doctor has said, which is you're fine. Mm -hmm. Now we do find more and more um, over the last five years, breast surgeons are coming around to saying you're going to need to get these redone in, you know, five to 10 years. Um, but so many women are not told that ever. And that's a problem. So when they're told, oh, well, it's silicone. Why does it matter? It's inert. Mm -hmm. And I went with my first client I ever had where it was like, I don't know why you keep showing up with this whole silicone issue with some of my energetic testing that we do. And this was I think it was even before we did thermography, mm-hmm. I just kept getting that silicone. She's like, oh, well, I went to one of those parties and I have breast implants. So she had unencapsulated silicone injections in her Ooh. lips and her butt cheeks. Oh, wow. And, and it was, it was the saddest thing because she was miserable. She was disabled. I mean, she could not work That's because awful. the fatigue and the brain fog and just the various health issues were so much. It wasn't that she was lazy. She wasn't looking for a way out. She wanted to participate in life and she couldn't. And she begged me to go. She found a doctor who was going to do the surgery to the explant surgery. And she begged me to go with her to the pre-op appointment. So I went not knowing what to expect. And he proceeded to hand me my behind on a platter. I mean, I've never been ripped up one side and down the other (laughs) by a doctor before. And I was kind of in shock, but I I finally told him when he gave me a chance, I said, okay, wait a minute. I get that you think in 2000 years, you know, archeologists are going to say, what are all these people doing with, you know, silicone? It's still here and it's still in the same form. That may be. 
But you have to acknowledge if the human body can turn on itself, if the human body will make antibodies to its own thyroid, to its own adrenal tissue, to its own soft tissue. Why do we think that the body would not develop antibodies to any foreign object? Yeah. Silicone bags included, no matter if they're filled with saline or silicone. And yeah. he didn't have an answer for that. And, and we left it at that. I think the score was him 10 and me one. <laughs> that was the scariest conversation I ever had, but it didn't, it didn't deter me because I knew that her body was showing up the way it was for a reason. And he even reduced her lips down and tried to get as much silicone out as he could. And I think he did her a lot of good in the end. And it really gave her a lot of her life back. Yeah. But we see stuff like that um, a lot. And there's just, there's good ways to do things and there's better ways to do things. And so- yeah, do do you see that in dental work too? Um, like for the thermography, do you see, is that a, a thermography able to detect things, dental, dental work? There is so much that comes back dental. I, I, we kind of tease like, man, we need a dentist in our practice because <laughs> so much of what we do, um, tracks back to the mouth and in biological dentistry, which, uh, you know, it's, it's really how health relates to the mouth and a biological dentist will tell you your gut is in your mouth, right? Um, it's one long tube. <laughs> and, and so things come and go both ways. And a lot of the reflection of our gut health will show up in our teeth and it can show up in the way of cavities, um, bad breath, gum disease, things like that. But what we see uh, that's really quite extraordinary because you asked about, you know, life changing and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I want to tell you this statistic first. So in Germany, or you go to a German biological, uh, a new German medicine clinic, anything like that, or a biological dentist, they're going to tell you, well, 95% of women who have breast cancer are shown to have a root canal on mm -hmm. one of the teeth associated with that breast. Let me repeat, 95% of women with breast cancer are shown to have a root canal on a tooth connected to that breast. Now that may sound foreign to some of our listeners. And the fact of the matter is there is a connection between every organ in your body and your teeth. So if you don't know what meridians are, if you go you, if you've been to an acupuncturist, you know what meridians are and they're circuits. They're basically electroconductive pathways that have been identified across all cultures. And those circuits run through our teeth. So you have five teeth on each side of your mouth that are connected to the breast on that side. And it's important to note that if you just like with the electricity, say you've got, you know, a current running from here to here and you throw wire across it or you throw some metal block across it. What are you going to do to the energy or the electricity? It's going to disrupt, right? It's going to arc. It's going to short out. It's, something's not going to work right. Well, it's the same thing. What do we do to our teeth? Well, we spent a long time putting amalgam fillings in them. Mm -hmm. What's amalgam? Mercury is half mercury. I don't know what mm -hmm. else is in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shiny metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And then there's root canals, mm -hmm. which is practicing the art of leaving dead body parts attached 
Yes. So it's taxidermy in the mouth. We don't do that to our fingers. We don't do it to our ears. We don't do it anywhere else on the body. Mm-hmm. And I get that I've oversimplified that a little bit, but I'm just saying there are other ways to do it. And we have seen so many instances through the years where people come in with these issues and I never even get past the mouth in the thermography because I'm like, I don't know what this person has, but this is a problem, right? Whether it's um, teeth that are super hot or everything in the mouth is fine except for these two teeth that do not behave correctly or whatever. And then you go down to the corresponding organ. It's like, oh my goodness, look at that liver or, you know, look at that bladder or whatever. So we've seen that a lot and we're able to then um, make people aware of biological dentistry or their need for um, a dentist who is going to correct some of the poor work that's been done in their mouth. And, and, you know, and let's face it, sometimes people have just ignored their dental health and um, they need some attention and some intervention. So, but we definitely think different about dental health these days, because like I say, I I don't know that anybody leaves without a recommendation to go see a biological dentist. Yeah. Um, It's so important. And biological dentists say 80% of all disease starts in the mouth. Wow. And now we get it. (laughs) We see it every day. So we kind of, oh yeah, there, there it is again, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see anything interesting or challenging specifically with toxins or EMFs? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Let's talk about Bluetooth. <laughs> Thermographies don't lie and they can't make stuff up. Bluetooth has a very distinct influencing pattern on thermal regulation. Really? Very negative. Oh. And it's also very negative on your lymphatic function. Yeah. Are you talking thinking- about Bluetooth, like someone wearing one? Is that what you're specifically talking about? Or if their phone's just in Bluetooth mode? It could be um, anything from Bluetooth headphones to hearing aids or the okay. earbuds, you know, mm-hmm. the, the wireless bad stuff. They're so okay. popular that everyone wears because it's convenient. But mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a certain signature. We'll look at the thermography and be like, hmm, this person's got some interference going on here. And sometimes wow. it's not even, it's not always Bluetooth. It could be appliances. I mean, we've got all these smart appliances, smart cars, everything's smart. And guess what? It's making us dumb. Because it is, it's impeding our normal regulation in our body. And pathogens thrive when you're being affected by frequencies. And so it's kind of a, a perfect storm if you're constantly putting the Bluetooth on, or you know, even when you wear it on your wrist, it's still affecting your whole lymphatic system. And remember, your lymph is your garbage can. So if you can't take your trash out, it's going to build up and it's going to be pretty putrid. (laughs) Yeah, that's really true. Um, Yeah. So the Bluetooth is probably one of the big things. And then, you know, there's a whole segment of society that has what they now identified it as electro hypersensitivity syndrome. And these are people who, you know, 10 years ago, even we called them crazy. Um, Mm -hmm but they're highly sensitive people usually. So they're the ones who can, they're going to ride down the road and they'll tell you exactly which 5G trees are firing. And they feel, yeah, they feel the buzz or they get a migraine. Some people have seizures and, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate 
because I think we can do better for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think as individuals, you know, um, I don't think we talked about a call to action in this podcast, but here it is, folks. <laughs> I think if there's one thing you're going to do, turn off your electronics at night. Think about it for a minute. We've all been in that situation where it's dark and the power goes out and you may have thought it was quiet until all the power went out. That's quiet. Yes. That's a different sort of silence. Well, all of our electronics, they make noise. It's that, that background radiation, that background noise that is always going and it stimulates our brain and it doesn't allow for us. So even just getting your cell phone out of arm's reach, they say reduces your exposure to EMFs by like 85%. Wow. So it's just not being tied to those things. We love yeah. technology. I mean, we're not no, we're here. using it right now, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, we have to set limits. And, and again, I think back to that whole, are you aware of yourself? You know, have you checked in with yourself? Because some people don't know who they are or what they are, or how they feel unless they ask their device. True. And, and yeah, it, and that does show up, especially in the brain points in, in thermography. And I think for a lot of people with chronic pain, um, Elena does most of our lymph here. And that's something that we've seen with people who just have a, I just hurt head to toe, just everything hurts, nothing's wrong. And I'm on, you know, three antidepressants and we find out, well, you hurt cause your lymph doesn't circulate. And then we yeah. get their lymph circulating because it was pointed out in thermography, which is a unique feature because there's not a lot of other things you can do that really measure lymphatic movement or integrity because we ignore it till somebody has lymphoma mm -hmm. in america right yeah. lymph no yeah. problem yeah but yeah. when you get lymph moving then it's like oh this is amazing people think we're miracle workers <laughs> oh, just because we moved their lymph it's like i just used the the technology <laughs> to show you that it was bad and then to help it moving but it makes such a difference because think about if you had trash piling up in your house, the house would want to crumble down if you never took it out and your body's mm -hmm. the same way. So you get that relief. Suddenly you feel like, okay, I can do this. I can do this thing called life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Are there, are there any new emerging technologies or techniques in thermography that you're excited about? Um, that's a good question. I mean, they've come a long way from mud to... <laughs> to Bluetooth connection sure. to an infrared sensor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the, the work that the Germans do. Um, a company in Switzerland actually has done a really good job where they can, you know, we do this, this screening where you take a measurement, you rest, and then you do a post measurement. And that kind of gives you the thermoregulation capacity of the body. And that's really what the screening is. But now we can apply a therapy. Like if you're an acupuncturist, you can then look at it and say, okay, I need to put needles on this person at stomach 36 and this spot and this spot. And then you can apply your therapy and then you can finish it, wait five minutes and you can remeasure immediately to find, did we now take this temperature that was so far out of range, whether hot or cold, is it now in range after we did our therapy? So you get wow. 
real-time feedback on how appropriate and successful your treatment was. Um, you know, neural therapy, it, it's done with chiropractic adjustments can use this. There's so many different things you can, you can do with this. And so I think that that's really cool. And, um, yeah, so just the, the, the real time information, but other than that, I mean, in our, in our world, those are probably the biggest, um, things or innovations in thermography. That's exciting. Yeah. It's really cool. Are there any misconceptions? Oh, go ahead. I'll ask. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to ask if there are any common misconceptions about thermography that you want to address. (laughs) Okay. Tell us. (laughs) Well, I think the one thing, um, and Elena, I'm interested to know what you say here, but Mm -hmm. I think one thing that we always hear people say is, oh no, it's a hot spot. Uh, Hot spots aren't always bad. Like your whole head should be a hot spot. (laughs) Remember when you go out in the cold and your mom would tell you, put a hat on because you're losing all your heat. It's true. That's how we lose our heat. It's through our head. Those temperatures should warm up. So hot spots aren't always a bad thing. Um, sometimes cold spots are really bad. You know, Because what's cold is old. Yeah, what's cold is old. <laughs> it depends on where you're looking at in the body. So I think that people assume, oh, this is going to find something hot and that means cancer. It's really what people need to understand about thermography is this is detective work as well. We're mm-hmm. able to find, um, we call them signatures, but they're basically, it's, yeah, it's kind of the calling card of different types of issues that, uh, the body displays for us. And then it's up to us as practitioners to put the pieces together and go, okay, this is what we need to address on this person. Um, but, and, and I think two people look, look to thermography thinking they're going to get a diagnosis of something and you're not going to get a diagnosis, but you are going to get a lot of information that's useful for avoiding diagnoses later. (laughs) Yeah. And if I, I remember you said earlier, it's, it's kind of way earlier detection than a lot of other methods. You don't want to wait for the diagnosis. Right. Just on that note though, some people come to us after diagnosis because they didn't know about this beforehand. And that goes back to us honing in on where it's affecting their body. But, you know, I'll say another misconception about thermography is people will say, oh, I just run hot. So I don't think you'll get a regular reading. Well, hey, anyone will get a regular reading because everyone has a different baseline. That's why we take two sets of temperatures. We take that first one to establish where, where do your temperatures run? And in the 10 minute cooling period, even if someone is, runs hot and doesn't get freezing in that 10 minutes, you're still going to have a shift in your uh, temperature regulation. And so we can yeah. get that second set of temperatures and then see where did it regulate like it should or shouldn't. But I, I just like to clear that up because I'll start uh, people's tests. And they're like, well, I just run hot. Well, no big deal. Now it could be a problem if you suddenly have a hot flash, but that's another conversation (laughs) and we, you know, we work around that, but yeah. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Cause I've come full circle on my questions. Do you guys have anything that we missed that you'd want to share about thermography and, uh, even what you guys do specifically with thermography in your practice? You know, we just tell people this is about the best physical you'll ever get. I have four grown daughters. I have two grandchildren. I make, I make Mm -hmm. all my girls do one every year. (laughs) I don't really have to make up. They do it. Um, and we do it, you know, for ourselves. And I think 
it's just important for people to take a moment and say, what am I willing to do to avoid problems later on? Now, not all problems can be avoided, right? Mm -hmm. But there's so much that we can do. I'm going to personally employ every tactic I can to preserve my health. And I've always said, I want to live really well until I die. And I want to die really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And so if, you know, for me, if I can avoid chronic illness, if I can avoid chronic pain, if I can avoid something that could have been um, averted five years ago, I'm going to do that. And so with that, respect, we love yeah. thermography, you know, as a yearly screening. Yeah. And, and I want to add for any of our listeners, you know, we've talked a lot about women and breast health and mammograms, but thermography, whole, whole body thermography is for men too. And it's yeah. for children. We do as young mm -hmm. as eight years old and they just have to be old enough to stand still, but it, it's for everyone because everyone has the potential for disease. Everyone has a toxic burden. Everyone's got inflammation. So this, this applies to absolutely everyone that you care about. And I tell everyone in my family, like, Hey, I love you. I care about you. I want you to prevent everything you possibly can get your butt in here and get a thermography. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, just like that, we found the perfect place to end the episode <laughs> and we truly hope that you all found the information helpful and would love to hear from you. If you've, you're watching the episode on YouTube, please like and subscribe to our channel and also check us out on Facebook and Instagram for more information about thermography or on the K6 Wellness Center. Please visit K6wellness.com and until next time, take care of yourself because your health is worth fighting for. Thank you so much, Sharon and